when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to our brand new podcast, Made by Mamas. I'm Zoe Hardman. And I'm Georgia Dayton. And we are back, uh, still talking, still discussing and still covering all of the subjects related to motherhood. We're really excited to be here again and we cannot wait for you to hear all of the chats taking place in this series. For those of you that don't know us. We met um, a few years ago when we were pregnant and now three kids later and with one, a bun in the oven. It's cooking, it's cooking <laughs> it in is. there. Um, we've got more interesting subjects, topics that we're discussing and all of the stuff that maybe perhaps you, you might be scared to talk about. Yeah, you might be scared to talk yeah. about. Well, we're here. We're we're lifting off the lid. <laughs> We've got some great guests this series. So, yeah, sit back and let's get on with it. So, here we are. Another week. I know. This series is going really quick. I know. Your bump's getting bigger and bigger. I know. It is really big now if anyone could see. It's I'm very obviously pregnant. It was even since yesterday when I saw you. <laughs> I've just said to you earlier on. I think you've got bigger again overnight. Yeah, I have. Or it might just be all those chocolates we've just been eating. <laughs> um, so, listen, this week is a bit of a different week for us um, because we are covering baby loss. Now, this is something that Georgia and I have got no experience with. Um, and it's a very difficult subject to discuss, to talk about. But we know that a lot of you have been through it. Lots of messages on the Instagram came in. Yeah, so we just felt that we should really cover it. Um, as we said, n- neither of us have really had an, any, you know, experiences to share. Mm. Um, so we won't be doing that in this episode. No, nope. um, but we are very much looking forward to listening to Caro and her story. So Caro is a really good friend of mine. I've known her for for years. Um, our husbands played rugby together, and I didn't. I knew about her story, but I didn't. I haven't really ever sat down with her and and gone there because one of the things. Um, I think people can relate to this, that when there is a loss, especially of a child, it's very hard to know what to say. Absolutely. Uh, You know, you don't even want to ask the person if they're okay because you know that the whole world has come crashing down. So even though I knew that she had lost a baby, I didn't know the ins and outs of it. Um, But I know that she is an amazing speaker, an amazing advocate for, you know, miscarriage and child loss. And I I thought she'd be great to get on. So as Georgia said, this is going to be a bit of a different podcast for us. Um, It's going to be a quite an uncomfortable listen, but it does have a really amazing end. So stick with us. And yeah, let's welcome Caro Greenwood onto the podcast. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. So, um, today, when you see the photos of who we got in the studio with us today, you might think that Nicole Kidman... <laughs> has come in for a chat today. Yeah, but- and especially in this very snazzy outfit. <laughs> She's but- got like a... Is it glittery or sequiny? Yeah, there's definitely a sheen to it, isn't it's there? A sh- uh, it's a beautiful suit, yeah, which she- I'm very <laughs> jealous of. She's looking incredibly gorgeous. She is a mum to three amazing kids. She is one half uh, ex-England rugby star, best inside centre in the world, <laughs> she's just told me. Her words. Her words, her husband yeah, Will. Yeah. Um, she's also um, got a blog called Spiky Mama, and she's just a very dear friend of mine, an all-round thoroughly lovely person, Caro Greenwood is with us today hello thanks for having me guys you are so welcome thanks for being here we're thank you over the moon that you've come in to have a chat with us today well thanks very much yay Um, now you and i have been friends for a very long time Mm. we both married rugby players Mm -hmm. but that is not just the only thing we have in common it really isn't (laughs) (laughs) did you both used to go to rugby pitches on a saturday and hunt out a man is that is that how you met yes (laughs) no no i actually met my husband in a review vaulting nightclub when I wasn't even at the nightclub I was there in my sweats sort of revolting 90s lavender uh, number uh, picking up a friend of mine who was drunk and he was there with Will and that's how I met Greens and how many years ago was that? Uh, just over 22 years ago. Oh, I'm too gosh. long. Too long, but <laughs> I am too lazy time. to trade him in now. And also, <laughs> you're turning back the years because I can't believe that you've been married for 22 years with a face Well, like we've that. been together 22 years, yeah. Uh, but married since 03, July 03, you got married. So it took a while. It took a while. He's a lucky man. That's all I can say. Now, listen, um, we have got you here today to have a chat with you about a subject that is... Um, quite difficult to discuss not many people talk about it and if they do talk about it um it's kind of you know behind closed doors we really want to open this up to you to discuss the fact that you had a premature baby premature Mm -hmm. labor Mm -hmm. and i just want you to tell us your story so basically will and i made the decision to have a baby people we um had a baby oh goodness i was uh, 29, 28, 29 when Freddie was born and we had had a conversation about having a baby before we even mentioned marriage and it was absolutely what we wanted to do. Um, we were very fortunate in that the first time we had unprotected sex, we got pregnant. Uh, so I was like, oh, all the bloody fuss is about. So easy. Just take off the condom and you get pregnant. Uh, so I thought that was quite marvellous. And um, we were very happy. Um, 12 weeks scan, great. He 
you know, Fred was, I, we make big babies. You know, my husband's six foot five, I'm five foot nine, so they're never going to be tiny. Uh, and they were like, great baby, great size, everything's going really well. 20 week scan, marvelous, big baby, got a big baby, you know, uh, Caro. So everything was going well. And then I went to visit my mum uh, a few weeks after that scan, and um, I woke in the night and the bed was soaking wet absolutely soaking wet now as ridiculous as it sounds at the time I just thought what the hell is going on mm. um and obviously <laughs> it's very it's very obvious now what was going on but I remember when you're first pregnant I mean you, you yeah. don't really yeah. know what to expect it's like being a first-time parent you don't really know what to expect anyway I woke up my mother straight away I went something's wrong something's wrong there's water everywhere and my mother straight away went uh, it, it, we need to get to this was at three in the morning and we just I'd sat we didn't phone an ambulance or anything we went into the GP and he said you need to go that was the very first thing we did at eight o'clock in the morning what so you didn't do anything at three no o'clock no and it, it it almost subsided it sounds weird now because it was a lot of fluid and we went to the hospital where my mother lives in <coughs> Norfolk and I well you see it's very difficult since I'll talk about it because we know now they don't do it now they did a speculum and my feeling is that that re um unsealed I think the water's I think it resealed I think my the amniotic fluid had slowed it wasn't gushing anymore and I think the speculum opened the fluids again but we'll never right. truly know we'll yeah, never truly okay. know so I'm not accusing anyone of anything but to this day I I you know I, I put it this way it then really sort of really started to come so I so I did what had they said at that point they had said this is amniotic fluid 100% so you have your um, waters have burst and, and but how many weeks were you I was 22 weeks so you're 22 weeks pregnant yeah. first time mum yes. and you're told that your waters have broken yes and which you absolutely do not expect no and what's more they said but we think it's resealed but we'll do a check with the speculum which is a very very invasive procedure and my understanding is now that they just do not do that at all right. um, and my advice to anyone in that situation is do not let them do it a speculum um we then i my husband kept my husband he wasn't my husband then will came to get me from norfolk and we drove straight to the hospital our local hospital which uh, at the time was chelsea westminster and i presented straight away and they took me straight up um and put me in a side ward by which stage that the fluid was it was quite obviously amniotic fluid um, I was in there, um, it just wouldn't stop. And I was in there a week um, and quite a lot of things happened. I had a whole load of people see me. And I remember doing really ridiculous things like thinking, well, it's not going to go to the loo because if I don't go to the loo, it might stop. Mm. And actually all that does is create pressure mm. and makes makes it flow even more. And I remember um, one of the doctors coming in and saying to me, if you're holding in your wee, don't do that because that is absolutely the opposite of what you need to be doing right now. Mm. But it's really, really hard. And it was just an impossible situation, really. Were I, they saying that you m- might be going into labour? or were they? Yeah, I went and they said, um, they gave me all... We then went through all the stats of what might happen. They took me to the NICU. Um, they said, this gestation, there is very, very little chance that the baby will survive. We didn't know whether Fred was male or female either. And actually, uh, males have a lower percentage of survival at premature rate, uh, prematurity. Um, and so that was another, the, the very first question a NICU will ask is, is the baby male or female? 
so we were doing all this research at the time, you know, and it was it was kind of before um, iPhones and smartphones, what have you. So everything was slow. Um, and I was just permanently asking questions and questions and questions. And Will was there, obviously, all of the time. My mum came down. Um, and it was on the Wednesday that I met a guy called Professor Mark Johnson. And he, well, he wasn't professor at the time. He came and sat with me. And it was the first person, I think, if I'm honest, that had sat and just explained everything in all the detail. I'd seen him earlier on that week, but it was a complete fog because it was when I was admitted and they were the flu just wouldn't stop. So I literally was sitting um, on a bowl just just because the fluid wouldn't stop and it it was really it was a bit harrowing and the whole experience was harrowing it's been going on for the week yes and so he sat with me on the Wednesday and he said to me we we can't stop this it is unlikely that the baby will survive if the baby is born and I I looked at him and I said, well, what what are the percentages of survival? And he said, well, your baby actually is a, for the, for the gestation that the baby is, he's, he, he, he looks like he's a good weight, but he said it's impossible at this gestation for him, not impossible, but it is highly unlikely that the baby will survive. Because even if they intubate, their lungs are so tiny, you see. They, they, they're little tiny bird lungs. They yeah. just they burst. It's, it's a very, very, very dangerous time. And he sat with me and he literally just told me everything in the loveliest way. And for anyone that's ever met Mark Johnson, he has the most calm um, bedside manner. His voice is like, it's just like listening to classical music. It's a, he sat and very calmly told me and I just started to sob and sob and sob. And I hadn't cried up until that stage because you're sort of living in that whole, right, if we can get to this stage, we can get to this stage, if we can get to every day is yeah. another day. And you're obsessed with every minute and every tweak and every twinge. And I think at that stage, I kind of knew... And he, his beeper goes off every five seconds. This guy is like a demigod in the Chelsea and Westminster. He certainly is to us. And this beeper was going off. People were coming and going, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson. He went, you'll just have to give me five minutes. So he sat with me while I cried for about, well, it probably was only five minutes. It mm. felt like 20. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, this, this guy's a good guy. And Anyway, the next day, so on the 19th of September 2002, um will came in that day as per and my back started to hurt so i knew something was afoot but you kind of you do but you don't Mm. because you read about low back pain being part of labor but you kind of just and i was then really i was like well if i just ignore it it'll go away because i can't this baby can't be born when your worst fear is realized until your worst fear is realised, I should say, you don't actually really believe it can happen. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. You almost ignore those things and think, but it's just not going to happen. It, it won't happen to me. No. It could, you know, those twinges will go away. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah, of course. You are living in a semi-fantasy world, but it's also survival mode mm. because nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to live in that absolute reality. And the truth of the matter is, I probably could have, should have, alerted um, alerted the healthcare professionals before I did but I it wouldn't have made any difference to the outcome um, and so then you just you lay there with the back pain yeah and the and the pet I then was contracting mm. at this stage 
Um, and it was about five o'clock. So I remember Chelsea were playing and Will couldn't get home because he usually left around then and then came back in the evening. And I'm he he left me and he said, you just looked really pale, like you weren't, you, you just didn't look right. And he said, I was stuck in this traffic, thousands of people pouring out of Stamford mm. Bridge. And he went, I don't know what made me do it. He went, I just turned around. He got the, you know, the car, went down a little mm. side road, did a U-turn and came back. And when he came back within, I don't even remember him coming through the door. I hit the emergency button because he, um, I went, I went, so, 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 I went into spontaneous labour. And so what happens is you don't dilate. So even though his head in relatives terms is small, it's actually quite big. Um, So it was incredibly painful. And I remember just suddenly going, ow, 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 ow. I knew something was happening. Um, So we hit the emergency button. And within 20 seconds, we had a room full of staff racing me down the corridor to the labour suite and he was born very very quickly um so there was no time to dilate there was no time for anything it was just a big whoosh and he he got popped out onto my tummy and it was then a very very um blurry time because my body went into shock as well so you're sort of you're you're shaking um because your body's not ready and i mean the human body is an incredible thing and it really does go into sort of self-survival mode um and then I held him he he lived for 45 minutes and I held him the whole time and actually it was funny because I remember when I was the day before even I was thinking god if he's born now I'm a bit frightened of what he might look like and that sounds ridiculous now but he looked he was perfect He's fully developed. He couldn't open his eyes. They were still shut. But he was perfect. Apps, everything was perfect. And he had clung onto my finger. And this is the extraordinary thing. You, you'd you read in a book all about the different stages and what they can do, but it it is quite amazing. And he clung, clung, clung um, onto my finger. And I... I said, please, please, you know, intubate, intubate. And they just couldn't. They just couldn't. He, he he was just too tiny. He was one pound and two ounces. And um, oh my God, it's tiny. It's tiny, it? tiny. Mm. And in fact, now they could do so much more because a baby has survived at that weight. But the baby's born at that, at that stage. He would almost definitely have had mm. issues. But, you know, that's a whole different whole different um conversation but he yeah he lived for 45 minutes and I think the most challenging the last few minutes of that were very peaceful actually because I was just talking to him all the time and saying you know everyone will know your name and we'll keep talking about you because that's how you keep someone alive isn't it and um he the hardest thing I think was that the body, even tiny, tiny bodies, they do want to survive. And he was gasping so much for breath. And I remember saying to them, please, is there nothing you can do? And she went, he won't be in, in any pain. So I just really hope that that was the case. But it was an incredibly challenging time. And we went, you know, you then the difficulty after that is that you have, obviously, your body goes into um, a regular, they think you've got a, a live baby mm. so you you've got m- masses of milk you've got all of the bleeding that you would have um you've got little nursery full of things and and you've got 
all these people that assume because you're not pregnant anymore, wishing you congratulations and not knowing what to say. You know, I hadn't even given up work. So I'd had to sort of phone my husband and obviously spoken to work. It was a really, the practicalities go out the window. And then also your your body goes into parenting mode, but you also go into parenting mode and you have nothing to parent. And I remember thinking, obviously, uh, Freddie was in the morgue at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And I'm I just kept thinking, I just don't want him there. I don't want him there, but he had to be there. So I used to sit outside the morgue. I sat there for like days going, I just, I need to be here, just near his body. And Were you allowed, sounds ridiculous. Were you allowed to see him? No, yes, but it all had to be very, had to be done officially, obviously. Yeah. I mean, obviously it had to be done officially, but you're not reasonable in that situation. And I remember waking in the middle of the night and saying, well, you know, I have to just go down there. And he was like, you just can't go down there at one in the morning, Caro, and I'm like, I'm just going to go down there. And, you know, Will and my mum talking me down in the sitting room downstairs going, you just, you can't go now, but we'll go in the morning. And and Will and all of our friends sort of rallying around. We had one friend that had to phone them that morning. I subsequently found out. They were like, you know, she can't just come in this morning. He's like, well, she's going to have to. You're going to have to find yeah. a way for her to come in. Um, and then the practicality of the funeral. And that was very, very challenging because you've got this teeny, teeny, tiny little white coffin that Will brought in. Uh, and we read a poem and also, you know, the, 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 the ripple effect of baby loss is that you've got grandparents with no grandchild and you've got aunties and uncles with no nephew or nieces. And, and I wasn't at all aware of anything or anyone going on around me. And I think, you know, one of the one of the questions we get asked now is as a couple, how do you survive is probably the wrong, wrong word. How do you deal with that challenge? And I have to be honest, I was less than useless for Greens, less than useless. He was pretty, um, did as, I was very angry for a very long time. So I didn't want anyone to open the blinds in our house. And we lived in um, in Southfields in southwest London. And I and that, so, you know, it was sort of on a, a pretty mainish road. And I was like, I just want complete darkness all the time. And I think that must have been quite difficult for him. Um, I was so angry. And every single one of my friends having babies. Mm. I mean, yeah. constantly. My sister, my friends... My friends' friends, my cousin, everyone was having a baby. And I'm like, they all got to keep theirs. You know, and it, it was, what you're was, just so angry. What was people's reaction? To, um, firstly, like, thank you so much for telling us mm, that story. Yeah, because thank I'm, you. I mean, Georgia and I are... I'm still processing it. Like, yeah, I mean, I just I can't I don't know how you've been imagine. walking around for the last 16 years and functioning on any sort of normal level. You seem so well put together and it's just so harrowing what you've mm. been through. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I guess, you know, there's so many questions that I want to ask, but I think... The first one is, you know, how do you start living again post baby loss? Well, I think this journey is very different for every person that's been through baby loss. And for me, I there was no um, there was no real help The I could have done with Instagram. I could have mm. done with more online. There was nothing really online. Um there was and and arguably, would I have been up for that anyway? I was in a very, very, very dark place. And I didn't want to talk to anyone about it which is I'm a hugely stubborn human being and it's sometimes a real battle to get past that for me and and that's not necessarily a something I'm proud of by the way um but the child bereavement charity were of a great help to our family um I didn't speak to anyone myself but I kind of think I should have done because I'm absolutely still processing some of it um and what I did was say to myself each day 
because I didn't want to get out of bed, actually. I kind of just didn't want to survive. I just wanted to lie in bed because for the first second that you wake up after a really difficult situation, for literally a second, you're like, oh, it's not happened. And then it's like, oh. And I think any form of loss um, can create that feeling. Yeah. I think any form of um, difficulty create that feeling. And I remember just thinking, I'll just stay in bed and keep going in and out of sleep because that's the only time we could be near each other Freddie and I and I felt very much like I mean it sounds awful like he was mine Mm. and I didn't want to share him with Greens and I didn't want to share him with anyone because I'd felt him kick I'd held him he'd held my finger very 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 selfish Um, but it was just my way of dealing with it and I'd dressed Freddie and I had he had little mittens which I'd put on him because he was so cold sounds ridiculous now but straight away and I the only thing I kept were those mittens and so I used to dressed him at the time yeah Yes, yeah, just after, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, well, he was wrapped up in a a blanket and I'd put put these little mittens on him. And so I kept the mittens. And so I would carry them around with me, like, all the time, religiously. They were with me all of the time. Did that help you almost, like, hold on to him in a a strange way, I guess? Yeah, I think so, um, because it was... The only th- well, it's the only thing I have now that's actually touched him, that and a little toy that he had, that he was given by Will's grandma. Um, and that's that's all I have. And I still have them. And they've never been washed. And, you know, they, they were next to him. And I think, for me, um, we don't have many pictures because it wasn't digital photography. It sounds like the old ancient age, doesn't it? In days of yore. Um, <laughs> we just had photographs, Polaroids that they took that we put on a disc, actually, um, in the hospital. We did actually take some when he was in the Chapel of Rest, uh, which I know sounds quite morbid now, but I didn't have it. I was like, there aren't enough, there aren't enough. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, people always say to you, apart from your children and animals, what would you save and find? It would absolutely, absolutely be those. That's all I have. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I I think they did help me. They did yeah. absolutely help me. Um, and then I sort of, my, my days afterwards were sort of cut into sections. I used to say to myself, right, what can you handle today? Can you handle going into Starbucks and seeing a whole load of mummies breastfeed their babies or whatever it may be, yeah, feed their babies? And I used to think, oh, God, if I can't handle that, then it's, when you look, I don't know if, if anyone out there listening knows Southfields, it's like baby yeah, central. Baby central. Mm. My goodness me. And um, I used to just avoid the high street. I used to just go the long way round. And obviously everywhere you look, it's like when you want to be pregnant, everywhere you look, there's babies, isn't there? Or yeah. baby, you know, signs, everything. So every time I took the tube everywhere, I went, everyone had a baby. And so it really is... I got very savvy to knowing what I could handle Mm. and what I couldn't handle on any given day. And actually then I did the stereotypical thing. My mum persuaded me to get a puppy. Mm. So I got my baby replacement in my lovely Rufus. Oh, that's what my dog's called. Oh, we got Rufus. (laughs) So Rufus, actually, I'll give little Ru a little shout out here. We had, he was, he he died uh, four weeks ago. So he died not long after. Yeah, not long after Freddie's uh, birthday, he died, and he, we always called him Freddie's dog. So it was a really like, oh god, that's, that was really, really hard. Actually, I thought that would be. Um, I mean, I'm a massive animal lover, but I'm, you know, I, I'm not a massive crier. Weirdly enough, I do, do you know what? I'm not a massive cry. I used to be. And I'm not a massive life crier, but I cry at movies and when a baby cries. That's what I'm like. And, exactly. and I wonder if I've just grown this. Like, people tell me sad things sometimes. I'm like, oh, 
God, I really should be crying. This is awkward. <laughs> and uh, and you know, you're like, I wonder if I've got this little rhino skin after having that happen. Um, but yeah, so you really figure out what your body can cope with. Can you cope with bumping into X today uh, and her baby? Can you cope with? And you just, you know, what you have is you build this little. Um, every day you go through what you think you can manage and if you can't you don't do it unfortunately after Freddie as well I had retained placenta so I had to go back into hospital and have it removed mm. uh, because I was bleeding quite heavily Jesus. so it was a bit like um, that was very difficult and I remember the consultant coming in and he was a very busy important man he came in right Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Green and I was like well, um, mine's not Mrs. Green for a start uh, yeah yeah um, and he's like where's baby why aren't you breastfeeding baby <gasps> And I just turned to him and the nurse was going, no, 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 no. Oh my God, he did not say that And I said, I said to him, my baby died. Oh, uh, oh mm, I'm so sorry. Why didn't you tell me to turn to the nurse? I said, because I said, don't, you know, it, you can't, you can't do that. And I just didn't really know what to say after that. Anyway, it, it, things like that do happen. And, you know, people say things like, well, at least you can get pregnant and life goes on. And, and then you've, you, you can't. At least you had those special moments with <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. I was going to say, is there oh. anything, you know, for anyone whose friend might be going through yeah. something like this or family member, is there anything that you absolutely should not say? And is there anything those that two, even helps things. a tiny, tiny little bit? Well, I, another popular question. Uh, basically, um, at least you can get pregnant is an absolute no-no because you'll just get, you know, I, I, you almost want to reply to that. Oh, well, I feel so much better now. You know, it's like when someone tells you to calm down. Never in the history of ever just anyone ever been calmed yeah. down. Just has anyone out. actually calmed down? Yeah. yeah. So uh, life goes on is an absolute no-no. Um, at least you can get pregnant. Oh, and always, always, my granny's auntie's cousin oh, had a similar situation. You don't. It's not that you don't care about anyone else's situation, even if it's your current friend's situation. When you are grieving, you can't really resonate and relate unless you are actively looking for that yourself. Unless you say, I am actually needing to speak to someone that's been through it. Do you know anyone? Mm -hmm. I would say, unless anyone actually says that, try not to um, try and make them feel better because you can't Mm. make a parent whose child has died feel better. Um, to, the things to consider saying are, for a start, don't cross the road. I've got a lot of that. No one looks you in the eye. No one crosses. No one knows what to do. I had a. I remember um, I had to pull out of the NCT group. That was very difficult. And if they ever, ever saw me, it was like, look everywhere but there. And it's very, very difficult to, and that I can't actually say that for all NCT groups. I want to, obviously, there's incredible ones out there. And I actually met a group of lovely, lovely women um, uh, through uh, my next pregnancy but you imagine what to say what to say would be something along the lines of I can't even imagine what you're going through um, but I just wanted to say I'm so sorry to hear about Freddie because it's really nice to hear his name mm. and it's really nice that people are acknowledging his existence because he did exist and he's hugely his existence is massive to me and that I think people are very frightened to say you know if I said if your nan dies or your great aunt dies and you say that and they're sort of oh I'm really sorry tell me you know they can talk about it if you say my baby died people like read the menu upside down or something they just don't know what to do and I do understand that I do I'm not 
criticising people because I think as a country we don't do death well. Mm. We don't talk about death really to our children um, and we certainly don't talk about baby loss. Um, and I think that is there are winds of change for sure. Um, there are some fantastic charities out there um, which you know we can talk about. But we, we need to discuss this subject because it is just exhausting and so isolating and so lonely do they know why you went into premature labor they do so i um consider myself fortunate enough to know because a lot of people don't know i have what's called um a inco- an, an incompetent cervix so my membrane ruptured prematurely because my uh cervix is basically less than useless so when you get to 38 40 weeks full term your cervix will start to open naturally mine Mm -hmm. starts to open around the well it actually starts to open around the 15 week mark they think it's so weak uh and then it opens fully between well at 22 23 24 weeks would that have been something that you would have been born with yes yeah okay so i was born with it and the only reason i know i was born with it because there are reasons for um having an incompetent cervix and those reasons are either multiple abortions or cervical cancer, or any form of cervical operation. And I have had none of those. Um, So mine has to have been uh, from birth. Um, But it was genetic. And so you, you obviously never know. Unless in this country we start scanning cervix, which they do in different countries, actually, but they just don't budget for that in the NHS. It's like that whole, where do you start? Mm. Um, And you can see my cervix opening because when I got pregnant again, you could see my cervix opening. But you have to be, and this is the amazing thing about the cervix, it's like people going, well, shouldn't they just... Once they know what the problem is, shouldn't you be measured, your cervix be measured every week at the same time? It moves. It can move five minutes later after you've measured it. So you have to be incredibly lucky to actually catch it on the move, if you will. Yeah. And so, yeah, that whole, I mean, obviously that whole experience, I didn't also, we weren't ready. I wasn't ready to have a baby for a very long time after that because I was like, no, I don't want any baby. I want that baby. And Mm -hmm. what is the absolute lifesaver about having little Rufus was that he got me out of bed in the mornings because when, you know, he was like, walk me, walk me. And he was such a baby replacement to me. I mean, literally, I dressed him like a baby. He was, he was, he was absolutely my baby. And uh, you having to go to work at this point? No, you see, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, I... They absolutely. They said I could come back when I was ready. Um, I had very understanding em- employers, which I know is a massive challenge. Yeah, of mm. course, because it's you don't think of things like that, do you? But obviously, you know, to the employers, you know, on their side, yeah, they kind of need to know if you're going to come back. If absolutely. you're not going to come back, you know, practically speaking. Yeah. But having those conversations must be so hard. It was really, really awkward and very, very hard. I. I was exceptionally fortunate that in my case, I didn't have to go back to work. And I know how fortunate I am. And I'm incredibly grateful um, to have been in that position. Um, I wasn't in the right place mentally. Uh, I was in a very deep fog. Mm. Um, And it took me a long time to crawl out of that fog. And I, stupidly, I was going to say, but I, I very foolhardily did that 
by myself for the most part and I would not recommend that at all in terms of there was no group there was of, no group there was, of I wish yeah. I'd found a group of people yeah. I wish I'd found a support group or a website or a something we actually in the interim we did two big dinners for in memory of Freddie for Tommy's a baby charity and they were incredibly supportive and that actually was a very big part of my healing process mm. um Doing something in his name and seeing his name was very healing for me. Mm. And I know that old time is a great healer. Um, I mean, nothing is more true. You can't live the way you feel that on the, during that time, during that day, when he died, during his funeral. You can't live like that. You can't live like that. Yeah. You have to make a choice to not just not live like that, but find a place for it. Yeah. Not move on. Not move forward, but um, not make your peace even, but find a little compartment for that day because it's a very difficult compartment even to open. Just when I was speaking out about it just now, it sort of eases open and you're like, shut, 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 shut it because it's frightening for me to be back there uh, because I can't really survive there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's too dark. So um, my part of my healing process was... First of all, putting that in a compartment and only opening it when I felt that I could and being able to control that was a very big deal yeah. to me. Um, obviously, getting a dog for me helped hugely. Holding the dinners. Um, Will's obviously in a part of the big rugby family and I have to say they were incredibly supportive and absolutely amazing. And again, a really big part of our healing process. I mean, they had a minute silence at Harlequins for Freddie um, and you could hear a pin drop. It was quite amazing. Mm. I wasn't there actually because I was just in a... In a, in a fog um, but I was at home watching and we received more letters and more kindness just an outpouring of kindness than I've kept every single one um, and that again part of the healing process um, yeah sorry go I was going to say um, obviously you know you've spoken about the fact that you you were the one that was pregnant you were the one that gave birth to Freddie mm. you know he held on to your finger but obviously your husband Will also lost his son mm -hmm. so how much of the pain were you sharing between each other and how much were you discussing how you were feeling or was it very much I need to bring the shutters down on everyone including my husband I absolutely brought the shutters down on Will 100% um, which is not something I'm proud of but something that I did and it's more of an observation for factual observation than a than a than anything else um i would say that he was supported by his rugby family supported by his closest friend supported by his family but i absolutely wanted to cut him out such a strange thing when i look back now because i don't know what i thought i was going to achieve by it do you think it's like survival mode you yeah, just sort maybe. of i don't know going well, i felt massively to blame right i felt hugely to blame because it was my body. And I know, I know. And if I was my friend, I'd be like, what? Don't be ridiculous. But there is, you need, like we went to see what felt like a thousand different healthcare professionals. Give me a reason. Give me a reason. And they couldn't. Will got tested. I got tested. There's nothing we can say. We don't know why these things happen. I'm like, not to me. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, you just, and, and so I'm like, well, it's my fault. That's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's oh, me. It's heart wrenching to hear you say that. And so you just are like, you stay away from me because I'm toxic. And so you're almost pushing people away because you feel like you are the devil. Uh, and that actually you almost, sounds ridiculous, 
you almost want to feel the pain because you think you deserve it. And that's absolutely how I felt. And I know this isn't how everybody feels. And it isn't for me. I'm not saying this so that people go, no, no, no. It's not for for seeking people's sympathy at all. It is purely and simply how I felt at the time. I know it's not right Mm -hmm. and it makes zero sense. But sometimes these things just overtake. Feeling can overtake Mm -hmm. any form of reason. Mm -hmm. And there's no rhyme or reason to that feeling. Um, And, you know, everybody's parenting journey is so, so different and diverse. And actually, everyone's parenting journey, I can almost guarantee you, is not what they thought it would be anyway. Yeah, we Um, talk about that all the time, don't we? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, But the rugby family were absolutely fantastic they were amazing they really really were um Clive Woodward who was the England coach at the time was phenomenal said to Greens you take as long as you need but actually Will is massively pragmatic and he loves the game he loved his job and he would say to me I you know I need to go back and I'm like absolutely you go back you go back because I kind of wanted to be by myself anyway um but my you know no I wasn't by myself my mum wouldn't let me be by myself and I resented her for that as well I was Mm. awful to my mother Mm. my poor amazing Mrs T um she was so amazing uh and still is and uh Woody basically set up a room for Will and I in the hotel where they always stay so that if I ever wanted to come I could just rock up at any time of day Mm. or night and I did and when I needed to be there, needed to be near Greens, that's exactly what I did. Um, How amazing. To yeah, have that. it was yeah, amazing. It Took is. the dog, off we went. Mm. You know, they were honestly, honestly phenomenal. Uh, I will never forget that kindness. And I have to say at this stage as well, Jane, Woody's wife, she was like, well, they're like family to us, actually. He, she was quite phenomenal. They just wrapped us up as best they could. Um, yeah, they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. Now, in the introduction, I um, I said that you were a mum to mm-hmm. three amazing, brilliant, wonderful kids. So this story, um, even though starts with a complete tragedy, mm. has a happier progression. It really happier does. Happier ending. Yeah, yeah it, re- it really truly Talk does. us through that moment where yeah, you decided... To- that's what I was going to yeah, say. How did you decide that you, you know, were going to get pregnant or wanted to get pregnant? It took a while. It took a while. Um, and I remember just waking up... Well, I didn't wake up one morning and go, I want to have a baby now. It was over a, a progression of time that I just sort of said to Greens, I think I'm ready. Are you ready? And he was at... He's... He would have had nine children by now. So he was, <laughs> he was absolutely ready. And again, we were very fortunate that... Um, I, we, it happened very quickly and I am so fortunate because I know so many people that struggle with that and we, we that it didn't go plain sailing so, uh, because at the time when you have an incompetent cervix nobody tells you even when you've lost a baby they don't they, you're a statistic you are literally a stat you, they assume that that isn't the problem and I remember I went to see a professional at the Chelsea Westminster who was free when I was eight weeks pregnant terrified I was mm. terrified and he said to me I think you need to just forget you're pregnant go away and relax and I'm like well that's just never gonna happen um, how did people react it's to ex- telling them that you were pregnant again I didn't I kept it really really mm. really quiet because I was just so not that I would have been embarrassed about anything happening I don't want people to think that I was not proud of being pregnant again but I just was like I was I was just terrified terrified. I was processing all of this Mm. information myself and also you feel a bit like oh I feel that Freddie don't think that this is replacing you you know you're feeling all these massive emotions and um I was just on a mission to just try and remain uh pregnant and I couldn't really process anything else Mm. so I came away from that awful 
day meeting this uh, doctor going thinking well I need to find Mark Johnson because I just remember him being so incredible when we were in having Fred and I got I managed to get I went so I went to the um, reception afterwards clearly really upset about seeing this doctor I need to see Mark Johnson she goes have you been um, uh, what did she say have you been referred and I went yeah <laughs> I've been booked in especially <laughs> yeah oh she goes well this is Mark Johnson's secretary's number you need to speak to him her sorry Sue hello Sue if you're listening you're one and um, hi Sue hi Sue, Thanks, Sue. Oh, Sue's an absolute legend in her own lifetime and so I um, phoned Sue and I said please she goes and how's Mark said he'd see you I said I said please tell him it's me he'll remember me and he phoned me back he went come in today I'll see you today Oh, wow. I went back and I said what had happened. I was told to go away and forget I was pregnant. He goes, well, we all work differently here. He's so diplomatic. Uh, And he said, I will see you every week because I suspect it is an incompetent cervix. But the problem is if I stitch your cervix now, it can, that procedure in itself can cause miscarriage. So it's like, oh my gosh. If you've ever read um, This Is Going to Hurt by Adam Kay, phenomenal book that's on my list to read it you must read it because he describes the stitching of the cervix um in the most perfect way he said stitching a cervix of a pregnant woman is like trying to uh stitch a membrane around a balloon without bursting it that is how delicate the nature of that procedure is and so i went in every week at 12 weeks um he checked me again and he checked me again every single week and we didn't tell anyone we were pregnant apart from our close family and at 15 weeks he scanned you get called what I call it sounds awful now the giant dildo so the giant <laughs> dildo dildo probe goes up uh, goes up your old foot uh, up the foof we're we calling it the foof the yeah, foof. Let's call it the foof. <laughs> we call it the foof up the foof it's a delightful procedure and um, and he said to me it's just starting to weaken a little bit but not something that I'm overly concerned about because it could be all of nothing. It could be just today. And this is the thing about the cervix. Yeah. It is so, you, you can be so different from minute to minute. So he sent me back, had to be on bed rest though, and had 10,000 different drugs to take. Uh, some of them, uh, was it? I can't remember what I did. Them as a, yeah, it was pessary, delightful. Masses of progestion, masses of drugs. And I kept going back and kept going back. And by which stage all of, the Chelsea and Westminster Obs and Gynae students had seen me in stirrups. So I was like, yep, enter. <laughs> enter. All dignity is gone. Um, and I was like, that. I said, please, by all means, use me as a research uh, subject. Yeah. Because we need to know more about it. If this is going to help future babies, have a look. Have a look. Get a, get a good look. So at, t- what was it? What would it be? 20 weeks. I've been on bed rest virtually for five weeks. And you didn't have to be a professional. You could literally see my cervix was like that, just hanging on by a thread. And he and within second, Mark very just calmly said, you all need to leave the room. They all left within a heartbeat. What's going through your mind at this point? Well, Will's in Australia because at this stage, it's the 03 uh, Rugby World Cup and he's in Australia. And I remember thinking straight away, and I must, he must have seen it. He said, I will contact Will, but first of all, we need to get you into theatre. Um, he said, "You, I'll put you in a side ward. I'm going to take you up now and they will prep you for theatre. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but when you have to prep people for theatre, you have to get a whole theatre team on board. So you need they needed a midwife in case uh, the baby is born. They need an anaesthetist. They need 
all these people and they all have to be on board and when you go into theatre you don't just you have to discuss what's going on with a with a team of people who know what they're talking about and not one of that team thought that my um, emergency emergency sutra stitch my emergency stitch was a good idea they said if she's already in labor which by which stage I, sh- I should probably say I was then I started to labor so I went oh my god I've had a contraction because I knew exactly what they felt by that by then and he <sighs> said you're in labor it's fine it's only very early labor and I just these little tightenings are starting to come and I'm trying to you know you're doing everything in your power to stay relaxed stay relaxed stay relaxed um, and no one in that team we're thinking it's a good idea because if you stitch someone that's in labour and so you've stitched the cervix and it's trying to open, it can tear. And that's a big problem for any form of future pregnancies. Did you think that this was going to happen again? Did you think you were going to lose another baby at this point? Do you know what? I went into a little bit of a twilight zone at this stage. Yeah. I went into a very, I'm, you know, for a former drama student, I'm much less dramatic than people think. I was like, right, I need to phone my, I need to phone, was he my husband by then? Yes. I need to phone my husband. I need to phone my mother. Really calm as a cucumber. Could someone get me a phone, please? Because I said, I don't know where my phone, I don't even know if I've got battery on my phone. Shock? Yeah. Total calm. Yeah, probably a little bit. Mum, this is happening. You need to go. My mum's, panicking a little bit on the phone I'm like could you calm down please you know I'm really trying to stay calm here um at this stage Mark Johnson said to me there is absolutely no point in us speaking to Will because there's nothing he can do from you know from Australia and frankly it's not looking good but we're going to give this a go so they took me into theatre by which stage my tummy was properly properly contracting and I'll never forget the anaesthetist and he was so lovely I called him Rudy's daddy and he told me all about his little boy Rudy who he'd lost and he was chatting to me he goes I've got another little baby now so you should know this might end well I've got a baby called Rudy and he's a he's a baby in the clouds as well and and I, I'll never forget that as long as I live and whilst all of this was going on my feet are in stirrups and they're stitching away and they had given me quite a lot of drugs and there was a really funny not funny at the time moment where I just went in a really British way I'm really really sorry but I can't breathe <laughs> I couldn't breathe my everything was monitored all the monitors were going off and I couldn't breathe so they'd given me so much drugs mm. that the obviously the baby uh, um, who's now Archie um, was just pushing down on my lungs and I just couldn't breathe very well um, when I came out of theatre Mark Johnson did phone Will and he said at the moment we are 70, 30 maybe 80, 20% chance or 80% chance we'll, we'll lose this baby there is no point in you leaving Australia but Woody Clive Woodward booked him on I think four flights four different flights so he was ready to go at any stage I then was in the intensive care unit I think for five days um, and and I was contracting in the most intense part of my labour. I was contracting every minute, every minute and a half. So which stage they were just pumping me full of drugs. So you've got these drips in you. And your, what these drugs do is they send your heart rate like to the moon and just sweat. It, you just, I'm just, I remember just dripping with sweat. And the SHO, so you have an, uh, a 24-hour midwife and an SHO, whoever's there. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting to him going... Give me more, give me more drugs, put more drugs in me because this baby needs to stay. And he was like, Mrs. Screenwood, we cannot give you another drop. You are absolutely, mm. my heart was 170. Mm. My, I'm just dripping with sweat. So um, after about 24 hours and they, everything was going off, it was a nightmare. And I just thought, I don't know what I thought. I just thought they can't happen again. It can't happen again. And then they went from every minute and a half to two minutes, two to three minutes, four to five, then to 10 minutes. And I was then thinking, well, I didn't even think about this. Um, I do remember 
when you know when you sweat so much you sort of get a cloudy vision yeah every sort of half hour i'd look up like this and mark would be there mark johnson stayed by in that hospital for 48 hours he sounds like an incredible he didn't go to bed didn't go home didn't go home wow and it was up in checking on me permanently um after four so after three or four days they went to every five every six every seven and then they just went to like one in the day and you know you like dead and even breathe so they moved me onto the ward and they said you will have to stay here now um because you have come close so close it could happen at any stage so they just pump you for, and then I was put in a side ward where I stayed for for just under eight weeks. No way! Mm. So this started at twenty, 20 weeks. weeks. So I was there for again. twenty until twenty eight weeks. Actually, at the time they didn't have these fancy televisions. They had the <laughs> old style that went off. So whenever anyone went to the emergency to the um, uh, whenever there was an emergency, your television would go off because it was like, oh, it was like, honestly, people are going to be thinking <laughs> this is like four, 1903 or something. There's only four again. channels, only four channels anyway. Absolutely. I think we had yeah. Channel 5. Oh, you had Channel 5 yeah, at that yeah. 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 Middle shake <laughs> in the morning, everyone knows from yeah. Middle Shake. And uh, so, um, so I, I said to, by this stage, we were, oh, I should say, midway through this time, I was lying awake one morning and in walked Mr. Greenwood. So Will had made the journey um, and he was like, I didn't expect you to, I thought you were going to be like a mess. And I was really calm, really calm. Um, and I said, well, I don't want you here. You need to go back and win the World Cup and I'll just bring home this baby, please. So just off you pop. And at the time, England were playing really badly in what was meant to be a really easy game. And I was like, get home, get, yeah, get yeah, back, yeah. get you back, get, get back. back. <laughs> get back. So he, he did fly back. Um, and... Um, I on the on the World Cup final, I I said to Mark, I can't risk this television going off. Cause England had made the World Cup mm. final against Australia, so I discharged myself for the day, and they were really happy for me. Well, not really happy, but they were comfortable with me doing that. And then, so I watched it at home with my sister and my mum uh, and my baby niece, and then and then came back to hospital. But um, you know, our our ending is a happy one. Um, I at third, they came home with the World Cup. I came home with a baby. Um, we uh, I remember at thirty two weeks. We went on the whole. Uh, we we met the. You know, it was an amazing day. Went to Downing Street. Went to Buckingham Palace, and mm. it was a phenomenal day. Um, and I I remember being there with this ginormous bump. And the people that know about uh, prematurity in babies will know that every day is a mm. is is a like just get me to the next day. Is every day is lung development. Every other day is ear development. It's all about. It, it, mainly about the lungs, but you know, premature prematurity comes with it a whole plethora of issues, lifelong disability, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. If you can get to a gestational age with a number three in it, you are home and dry. If you yeah. get to thirty-two weeks, you're done. You are done. That baby is cooked. The only thing that's growing are things like they'll give you um, steroids for the lungs and things like that. But it is all there, and your baby would probably probably be completely fine certainly these days mm. almost 100% completely fine when did Archie come so Archie came at um 30 just over 36 weeks wow. all at, yeah yeah just and what was amazing is he took the stitch out and he really was hanging on by a thread <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, it was <laughs> like if I do a little cough he might be born on the kitchen floor so he took the stitch out on the Friday 
And I went to bed that night and it was just, I was like, I recognise this stuff. I know what's going on. So I came down in the morning. I said to mum, I think it's going to be today because there's all sorts going on up there. And as I said it, I took a mouthful of my bran flakes and my waters went all over the kitchen floor. (laughs) And you know how people are like, well, it doesn't go like that. It's a trickle. It was like a... Niagara Falls. <laughs> yes, that was my, mine as yeah, well. My first it, was, like that. it was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, my vagina has released a river <laughs> all over the floor. And I was like, greens. It was like, I've passed asleep. Seven in the morning, I was like, get, get yourself up. down here, kiddo. Yeah. Um, and I was all calm and prepared. Greens was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I just sat in the bath for about five minutes because it wouldn't stop. Oh, wow. I was like, geez, I've gone from having no fluids <laughs> to so much fluid. So we had, a, he was, I, my, that happened at 7am. And after a pretty, actually really lovely, simple, very peaceful labour, out he came at 7pm, 12 mm. hours almost pretty much to the, to the minute. And they delivered this baby. And, and it was the most incredible moment because Mark... Johnson delivered him he came in at the last minute he went how's it going and I'm like and the midwife looked up who was lovely and she went it's any second and he said do you mind so he he brought the baby out put him onto my chest and he said actually we just need to slap him around a bit because he was a few weeks early and he was just this long little skinny thing Mm. Um, and um, a little bit sort of he sort of bleated and I was holding my breath just waiting for this noise and Mm. for about maybe 30 seconds there was nothing and bear in mind that our last labour room was utterly silent I mean everyone was silent even the midwife when she spoke was spoken a whisper and all of a sudden there was like this little and I was like there it is there's the noise Mm. and I've got goose pimples now and my mum just looked at me and she was crying to my right Will's crying to my left and they've got this gorgeous gorgeous baby Um, and they just then just gave him to me and he just was this 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 perfect little little thing Mm. and he really was just the easiest um easiest baby it's wonderful it was a wonderful wonderful moment and then since then you've had matilda who's now 12 and you had rocco who's now nine yeah and Um, so did you go through the same yeah so so um very briefly so with matilda as soon as they knew i was pregnant at 12 weeks so you have to have the very first scan to check everything is okay or uh, you know if you're comfortable with that and then they stitch you no problems with her i had a brief scary moment at 32 weeks but again I wasn't worried because got a three in it got a three in it um she was quite early actually she was born at 35 weeks um as I so I mean she would be known as premature but Mm. um and then Rocco was our only full-term baby in terms of Mm. actual in uh what they consider 38 weeks and they kept saying to me oh this head's really big that's why and I'm like can you stop saying that (laughs) uh so yeah he was an absolute sweet part yeah they've and you know I mean our parenting journey is still a pretty challenging one um I should mention that our daughter Matilda is autistic um and the boys are neurotypical but that comes in itself with its challenges and is a whole different conversation but I have three healthy children that I have at home to parent and I consider myself the luckiest human alive because I know you know I can't imagine what it must be like to go through baby loss and not be able to carry on with your parenting journey in a positive way yeah Um, can't imagine no 
Listen, Caro, I just can't thank you enough for coming in and talking to us today. And for, you know, if you are listening, uh, wherever you are uh, listening to your podcast today, and if it's affected you, you can get in touch with the brilliant Caro. She she has a blog, as I mentioned, Spiky Mama. Mm -hmm. And that is also your Instagram as well. So if anybody does want to send you a message to maybe share a story that you've got, a journey that you've been on, do message her. Yes. That's okay. um, Absolutely fine. No problem at all. I should also mention at this stage that Mark Johnson, who is the we consider the reason we are parents to Archie at least. Um, he is the founder of a charity called Born, mm. the Born charity, born.org. Um, and they do phenomenal stuff. Um, and a lot, we are patrons of that charity and they have a whole chunk, a plethora, no less, of information mm. on prematurity. Obviously, Different charities cover baby loss. Born covers baby loss, but you've got, I know people will know Tommy's and Sands mm. and the Child Bereavement Charity. There are lots of people and lots of support you can get out there. But yes, by all means, uh, get in touch if you need to. Cara, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Both of us. It's been absolutely incredible having you in and for sharing your amazing story. Thank so you. we love you lots. And um, I need to get some more tissues, I think. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for I having me. I want to give me. you a big hug. You oh. can. You can do that anytime you like. Thanks, Caro. Thank you. Wow. Um, that, yeah. I don't really know what to say after that, to be honest with you. Yeah. There's not much you can say. I mean, I hope that some of what she said would be able to help anybody dealing with baby loss and also friends of those who um, have been, de- you know, who are friends who have been dealing with baby loss. Because mm. sometimes, as we've said before, you don't know what to say. And mm. I think Caro sort of did say what, you, you know, those friends might want to hear. Mm. I think it's... Um well, I mean, it's God. It's like goosebumps, isn't it? When you when you listen to her speaking about that period in her life and how she basically locked herself away for a year and didn't speak to anybody, and you know, nobody mentioned his name, nobody even said the, the name Freddie. And yeah, I think hopefully that has helped anybody listening that has gone through it. And as George said, who's who's got friends that are going through it, we really hope that that's helped because that's what we want to do here at Made by Mamas. No conversation is too difficult to have. And yeah, we're not obviously going to talk about products today. No, absolutely not. Um, because yeah, there's just no need for it. So um, as usual, um, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today and um, you want to spread some Made by Mamas love, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and of course, you can give us, um, we like the five star reviews. We only like the five star reviews. We really only want those ones. <laughs> um, and um, and then, of course, you can send us a message on my Instagram at Zoe Hardman and at Made by Mummers. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com.
the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.